Well, we welcome everybody back. Um, it's another opportunity for us to visit with a, a very, very special guest and uh, a guest that I've had a, a long relationship with over the years, uh, a wrestling team, uh, a, a roommate, and uh, we've ventured out even over the last few years in an organization we call Wrestling MS, where we uh, raise money together to help put uh, patients with MS on bikes. And uh, Gary's been a big part of that, been a big part of my life. Uh, and, and frankly, a real inspiration to a lot of people, including myself. Uh, I value certainly our friendship, Gary, and uh, so glad you have a chance to join us today. So uh, we're going to get into some things uh, that uh, we probably normally wouldn't talk about uh, on, on our Consiglio Wellness Center uh, broadcast. But in this one, it's a very special show in that uh, we've got a guy like yourself here who's kind of been there, done that. And I say that with... Uh, great pride knowing what you've accomplished in your life. Uh, everything from climbing mountains to your business ventures, um, pretty much everything that you've done. And I know that one of the things that you're probably most proudest of is just being a, a good person and a good dad and a good good husband in your life. So uh, we're going to get into some of those things here today and have a chance to visit with about all of those things. So welcome to the show, buddy. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on, and, and I'm passionate about some of the things that you mentioned, and, and uh, uh, part of the things that I'm doing with my life right now is is what I've learned about myself and about uh, you know this chapter in my life past sixty uh, uh, is to share that with kids. I've seen some of the most beautiful things in the world, and I've seen some of the most horrible things in the world in the last few years, and and I've, I've been, uh, you know, I've been on a mission to uh, to make make sure that what I do from here on out counts. And that's uh, I'm glad to talk about it with you. Absolutely. I don't I, I think probably the best way to, to handle this, and I'm sure there's going to be some uh, some segues here that, you know, are almost, um, you know, we're going to we're going to be able to blend some of this together. But one of the things that um I, I've always been curious about is um, obviously you're climbing, but the goal that you set for yourself is 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 unbelievable to climb the the, the seven continents and the and, and the summits to the highest of those peaks in each of those. How did you get from you know your first step and your first time that you ever climbed a mountain to make a decision that you're going to climb Everest and Desali and some of these other places that it just it's mind boggling. Um, and I know that you've got a book coming out soon and that you're sharing some of those experiences. So maybe you can give us some insight on, to me, that's one of the most exciting things about your life and your journey and climbing the mountains is, uh, how do you go from, you know, your first step and like, Hey, I think I like this to deciding that you're going to climb some of the highest mountains or the highest mountains on the earth. Well, you know, it started out, uh, I took my, uh, I, I did two seasons of the amazing race, a, a reality TV show and got to see some really unique places in the world. And I was, I was drug up Mount Fuji in Japan and, uh, dropped on the Matterhorn, uh, to dig a, a mannequin out of the snow. And, and, you know, I got to see so much beauty in, in the world and, and I got back, I, I did two seasons back to back and I got back and felt a little guilty about neglecting my two boys and, and said, we're going to go to Africa. It's a, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And we're going to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro. We're not just going to go sit there and, and, 
and you know and watch animals we're gonna we're gonna do something physical so so you know i did that first mountain and it just called to me it just was something that uh, i got down and i said i'm gonna do another one i'm gonna see if i can climb 7,000 meters and i went to aconcagua and the first time i did that i didn't make it uh, but uh, after i did that i said i know i can climb to 23,000 feet uh, and i had pretty good uh, lungs at that uh, that altitude and i said i'm going to set another goal i'm going to come back here and finish this one and i'm going to climb all seven and and you know there's been I think uh, 400 people uh, was the number that have done all seven. And I'm probably in the older uh, spectrum of that age group. But but it, it was something, uh, and it was funny, uh, the first mountain I climbed, uh, I had to figure out why, you know, and and, and they always say that in order to, to figure out how you're going to do something, you have to understand why you're doing it. And 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 so uh, I went to Aconcagua and I saw the first people die on that mountain and and, you know, and I kind of struggled with trying to figure out why I like it so much. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's about like anything else. If you want to figure out how to quit smoking, how to, how to start an exercise program, you've got you to gotta kind of drill into that and say, why do, you know, I, I know why I want to quit but how, or how am I going to quit, but I need to find out the why. So to figure out how I'm going to quit smoking and to figure out how I'm going to live a healthier lifestyle. Uh, you need to know why you want to do that. And, and that's, that's what I draw my motivation from. So it's just a goal and I'm, I'm one mountain short of the goal. And uh, it's Denali. Like I said, it's second attempt on Everest. I've spent the last four uh, uh, summers in Nepal climbing either training or climbing a mountain in the Himalayas uh, for the Everest expedition. And the, the first attempt, uh, I fell short, saw six people die. And I left people on top of the mountain dying, which took a lot to get over. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's just something that, you know, I'm running on, but it's something that really called to me. And uh, it's the second I get off of a mountain, I'm looking for what's next. And, uh, you know, and, and then a lot of it too is I enjoy sharing, uh, with mainly school kids. I've had a lot of fun doing that the last few years. I spoke with your class at Blue Springs and, uh, uh, I enjoy that. And, and, you know, maybe it piques somebody's interest in, uh, saying I may want to try that. Uh, if a guy from Western rural Western Kentucky can do it, I can also. Yeah, I love that. And and I don't know if some of our uh, listeners, Gary, have really, you, you mentioned the fact that, and, and that really touched me when you told me and showed some pictures of some of those folks on the mountainside that had either, either they had passed or they were in the process of passing. Uh, when you say you left them up there, uh, not to be cold spirited in any way, shape or form. I understand that, you know, you shared uh, this with me before is that you don't have a choice. I mean, you have no way to bring them down the mountainside. If, if they can't make it, they can't make it. And uh, Sherpas made a statement to you, I believe, something to the effect that um, uh, you said they're going to die if we don't do something. And uh, I think you said the uh, quote was, is that uh, they're already dead. They just don't know it. And, um, you know, that was that was very, very touching. And mm -hmm. certainly it's uh, one of those things that um, this is real life. 
uh, it's not for the faint of heart. And, uh, you know, it, it, it takes uh, not only the commitment to do it, but it also takes the physical action and the, and the, and the presence of mind, the training and everything to make that happen. Um, and that would probably be something that I, I would enjoy hearing about a little bit more. And I think our listeners would, uh, you know, I'm very familiar with training in different aspects of training for longevity, for sports and for other things. But uh, training to climb a mountain is a whole nother ball game. And uh, especially when you get into those altitudes and some of the terrain that you go through, what, what, what was that like the first few times that you went through that and your experiences and what you've learned from it? You know, it was funny because the first few mountains, I, I just did a lot of running and cycling. Uh, yes. Just cardio, uh, and I did a lot of it. I was running marathons. I ran 13 marathons. I was doing three or four triathlons a year and swimming. Uh, and then uh, my second expedition to Everest, I joined a team called Adventure Consultants. And they're probably the top uh, top uh, outfitter on the mountain. And the movie Everest is written about Rob Hall and Adventure Consultants was the company. Uh, they're by far the safest on the mountain. And when I, and it's funny, before you get on an Everest expedition, a good one, a good ran one, they got to have two things. One is, do you have experience on a glacier? Do you have the technical skills? And then uh, uh, do you have experience above 7,000 meters? And they want to know uh, those two things. And then because of my age, they said, uh, we're going to have to get a sign off from uh, one of the, the most renowned trainers in the world. It's a, it's a, he wrote a book called The New Alpinist, and his name is uh, 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 oh shoot, uh, Sam Nunley. And so I had to hire a trainer, and I used this trainer, and he completely changed up. Uh, every quarter I would go to University of Denver Sports Medicine, and they would do lactic acid thresh, thresholds. They would uh, they would reset my workout zones, my VO2 max. Uh, they would look at the glycogen in my muscles and my legs. And it was a very technical in-depth. And they measured my progress and they set up my workouts. They completely changed my workouts from uh, 150 to 170 uh, zone to where they didn't want me above 130. So most of my workouts went. Uh, long durations, low heart rate. Uh, they didn't want, they wanted me burning, uh, uh, you know, the glycogens and the fats and not, uh, not the high heart rate and the fuel I was burning at a higher heart rate. So it was very scientific in, in the book that I, in the train, the guy who wrote the book, uh, uh, the two, two guys uh, were who I used. And then they had to, vouch for me uh, before they said, yes, he's followed our program. He's done our trading program. I had a Garmin watch. They tracked every workout I, re- I did every day. They knew when I was dogging it and they knew when I was uh, pushing it a little bit too hard. So uh, training was something uh, it's about like their wrestling season. We practice just so we could wrestle. Uh, we, we train so I can climb a mountain. The mountain part of it was fun. The marathon running, uh, the the race itself was a celebration of the training that you did to get you there. So, so it was it was unusual training, very long hours. It was uh, it was it was at 
close to the peak training. Uh, it was six hours a day. Uh, they implemented a lot of st uh, strength training, mostly lower, lower body strength training, uh, which was quite a bit different than what I was doing. What would you say, Irv, is um, something that you learned early that you wish that you knew when you first started, maybe halfway through and you said you, you changed your training, you did some things obviously a lot different than what you've, you, you did later and now you're a seasoned climber. What do you know that's different today that you wish you would have known when you started? Uh, oh, if, if I'd have known to, if, what I know today, I would have started way younger, but mm -hmm. I, I just couldn't. Uh, I had family, I had a business, I, I, I didn't have the time to invest. I had the money. Uh, I had the physical ability still, not as much as uh, now as what I used to. But uh, the biggest one is uh, is making more time for myself. And, uh, you know, that's important. It, and it's kind of a selfish thing to do. Uh, but if you're looking at you want to be a better parent, you want to be a better, better husband, uh, you've got to make time for yourself. You got to take care of yourself and you got to put that up there with taking care of your family, your career. Uh, and, you know, I, I guess that's one of the things when I, when I really got into my fitness, which was probably not into my forties, I, I was an athlete in college and high school. And then, and then family and work took over and I li lived a very unhappy, healthy lifestyle. I had, uh, lower back problems, uh, you know, just, just tons of bad health implications. And then in my forties, I decided I, I had enough and I'm going to start taking care of myself again. And, you know, that was probably something, you know, uh, that was a change in direction for me, uh, as far as, uh, you know, what I see and what I see other people doing. And, and I always make sure that they take care of themselves and, and as focused on that as they are their career or, you know, anything else. So it doesn't hurt Irv probably to have a, a spouse like Lisa, who is an inspiration in herself and what she does physically and what she does and her approach to life. You know, knowing Lisa, she's she's really, I think, uh, sort of the rock behind the, this whole thing. Right. Oh, yeah. She she kills me in marathons and. And uh, we had a goal to do all the major marathons and we've done them all, but the international ones and she qualifies, she qualifies for Boston and she's a 60 year old and runs uh, like a three hour and change uh, marathon. And I'm still can't break four. And, and, you know, uh, so she qualifies and I have to buy my way and I have to buy a bib number. I donate money to charity and they give me a bib where I can run Boston or New York. So, so, and, you know, even the mountaineering, she's not a fan of cold places and uh, she doesn't want to sleep in a tent or on a block of ice, which I can't much blame her. Uh, and and she probably uh, just, uh, you know, just putting up with me uh, coming back from Everest when I saw that I was pretty banged up. I had uh, my kidneys quit working. Um, my potassium, potassium level was way out of whack, uh, dehydrated. I had pretty bad, uh, frostbite on my face and hands. And it took me two weeks to you know, get my 
uh, kidneys to start working six months to get feeling back in my hands and feet. And it took me a year to convince her to let me go back. So, uh, and you know, it scared her. She, the day that I pushed for the summit, she got a call from the news network saying that there's, we understand Gary's climbing the mountain. Uh, do you know that six people have died this morning? And so she waited 24 hours before I called her back to tell her I wasn't one of those six but I just so happened to be there when, when they died. So it took me a while to get over it. I struggled physically and mentally. And that's why I said talking to the schools and talking about it helped me recover uh, and helped me uh, want to go back. And she's been a big part of that. She, she supported me and, you know, I've been rescued off of four of these mountains. I've had an aneurysm back, back in uh, last year in Nepal. That's been, eight days and four surgeries in a, in a Kathmandu hospital uh, trying to stop bleeding and was rescued by helicopter at 19,000 feet. So, so she's been, she's been on the bad part of a lot of it. And like I said, it, it's something that I do and I think it makes me a better husband, but uh, she had to understand why I did it. And I think she does. I think she does. And she supports me at it. And I would hope that, uh, uh, you know, that I would support her if she had something equally as crazy that she uh, was as passionate about. You mentioned just a little bit ago, Gary, that um, sort of in passing, you know, which would be something that most people would, I think, um, really like to hear a little bit more about is your, your experiences on The Amazing Race. Um, yeah. I can remember uh, watching those episodes and um, you know, I've been in sports all my life and there's, uh, you know, around high level athletes and things. And, and, um, certainly, you know, it can be nerve wracking in competition, but I don't think I've ever watched anything where I felt more nervous <laughs> than, than watching you and your daughter Mallory, you know, through these treks and, yeah. uh, not knowing the outcome which you obviously cannot share. As a matter of fact, uh, you're the second person that I've had on the show of, of recent that um, has been on uh, one of these types of shows. Uh, mm -hmm. We had uh, Jay Jacobs just recently on the show and he talked about his experiences uh, when he competed in The Biggest Loser. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think people really realize what goes in to some of these presentations and productions behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But you and Mallory competed two years, right? And I think she might have even gone back for a third. Yeah. They finally kicked your old butt off. And yeah. <laughs> but uh, you've, so, you've got to share it. You, you, I think you have to share a little bit about your yeah. experience on the amazing race and uh, what, what you took from that experience. So a funny story about how I got selected uh, is they, my daughter was Miss Kentucky and she was a runner up in Miss America and they asked her to go on Survivor. And she was in the uh, uh, last month or two of her Miss Kentucky reign. And she said, I've been starving for a year. I'm not going to go on an island and, and, and starve for another 40 days. And she turned them down. She said, no. Well, the same casting company did uh, the amazing race. They said, we'll get a partner. And, uh, uh, and we went and interviewed and left in two weeks after our interview. And then we were gone, uh, for the first episode 
And the next episode was an all-star season called Unfinished Business, or yeah, Unfinished Business. And they called us back. And so we were home for like, uh, it just started airing. It hadn't even been completed the season we were on. And uh, we left the week after the opening uh, uh, season aired. We didn't even get to see the end of our season. So we were on the race uh, in, uh, when the season was being done. But it was so much fun. Like you said, it was a competitive thing. And it, it may be goofy things like like uh, like getting the, your, all your body hair waxed with 12 million people. Uh, you know, watching you scream and uh, are digging out a mannequin on the top of the Matterhorn. Uh, you never knew what you got. And it was, it was pretty stressful. Uh, you know, one of the things about these and how they, 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 uh, they were really, really kind because we were father and daughter. They said if she would have had another pageant girl, they probably would have, every bad thing they did would have made the episode where in our case, every good thing we did made the episode. So, you know, it's, they want drama, uh, but they'll, they also want to see, you know, father and daughter get along. So uh, they were real kind to us on edits and, uh, uh, but I had so much fun. I would drop everything and take off again if they asked me. All I can remember is, uh, I still have anxiety about that taxi ride. Oh, a million dollar taxi ride, yeah. yeah. That, that taxi driver, I still want to just grab and choke him yeah. because I felt like that was the difference of uh, probably a third place finish, right, uh, versus yeah. winning it. And we would have won it. Yeah, we finished all of the all of the obstacles faster than anybody, but we just couldn't get there. We had a cab driver that didn't know where the floor, from my idea, didn't know where the Florida Keys were. And he couldn't speak uh, English or Spanish. He was uh, he was a Haitian. And he spoke French, and uh, so it was it was. Uh, it, I still have nightmares about that. But, <laughs> that is know. like one of those nightmares that you think, wow, you you wake up in the middle of the night and you have these anxiety attacks that you you feel like you're supposed to be somewhere and you're not there. <laughs> well, the funny part about that is name. I still remember his name. The cab driver's name was Sterling. He was a nice guy. But what happened is we showed up and it was us and the set of Globetrotters and these two sisters. And we cut under the line. We hop in. We jumped the line. There was a big, long line in Miami International Airport waiting for cabs. We jump under the line, get in the cab. And then all of a sudden, people are yelling, call the police, call the police. <laughs> well, we're in a cab and he starts pulling off. And, and how it works is they want to video you pull off with the team in the cab. And then you've got to stop the cab and load the cameraman and the sound guy in with you. And then we drive off. And in that stop, when we were loading him in, they were throwing so much. Then we had the crowd around us. And, and I saw this cab driver and it was Sterling coming up. And he said, all right, you have this cab. But, but it, was, it was a cab with a GPS on the dash and it was a van. So it was really, really nice. And the guy knew Miami. So so we said, well, well, we'll not fight it and we'll just jump in this next cab. So we hopped out and hopped in another one and we got Sterling. So, <laughs> well, it, that, that certainly was, it, was a, it, it was so much fun. It, it was, it was fun to watch. I mean, I had never really paid a lot of attention to the show, but knowing that you were on it, uh, especially when it first started that first season, 
is um, it, it drew my attention and, and Francesca, my wife, um, we watched it through its entirety and every week we were sitting on pins and needles. So um, uh, Gary, w w real quick, uh, we're going to close up here soon. I don't want to go too long with this, but uh, I think share us a little bit about some of the lessons that you've taken from all of your experiences. And, and uh, you know, again, uh, you, you've done so much with being on the amazing race. You've uh, climbed mountain after mountain, uh, run marathons. Uh, how have you meshed that in your business philosophy with what you've done with Irvin Cable and your company itself. And I know that you've done some other things that are highly associated with, but maybe a, a spinoff of your, your, your first company that you built back in the day. Uh, give me a little insight on that. You know, they're, they're all similar. Anybody that is, is, is pushed to, to exceed or push for excellence. And, and looks for uh, uh, not sitting on their butt and just letting life uh, go by them and want to take advantage of every day. Uh, you know, those are things that, you know, I've always done in business. I've always wanted to, to, to you know, be better. And, you know, we're up to 2000 employees. We're a public company now. And, and it started out with uh, me and my brothers uh, in a pair of gas climbing telephone poles, putting cable TV systems up. So, uh, you know, growth is a part of life. Uh, you know, I look at growth. If you don't grow, you die. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, it may be a little bit haunting. And a lot of times uh, uh, you, you've got to make sure that you check yourself and don't overdrive. Uh, people around you, but you know, that's kind of what, uh, that's kind of the way I've been made. And, you know, it's, uh, it's something that gives me great happiness, uh, to have something to work for, to have a goal to accomplish or to, to fail trying to accomplish it. So, uh, uh, I don't think that my age or my physical ability will ever change the fact of me trying to strive to do something better. So, so, you know, that's just it. And it was the same way business and mountaineering, uh, the story is pretty much the same. And, and you know, the last few years, uh, and I've kind of dedicated uh, my climbing and a lot of my experiences in life. And I started thinking about, I was in 2018, I was on Everest uh, the year I summited. And uh, my daughter that was on the race with me was having my first grandchild. And I'd already uh, had my payment in. I was going to miss the birth of my first grandchild. And I felt really, really guilty about that. And one of the things I started doing, and, and it's kind of, it's kind of given me a, a, a new lease on why I do things uh, is document lessons to my grandchild. And these are lessons I've learned about myself. And, and these are, you can go to the website and you can see every, every chapter I'll have something like uh, uh, beware of potato sellers. And, and it's a story that I'll tell that a lady fell into a potato seller, uh, broke her leg and messed up her arm, had to be life flighted out of this uh, village uh, up the mountain. And, uh, you know, and she's an Australian lady is her third attempt to climb Everest. And, and the moral and the lesson to my grandkids was uh, it's not how many potato cells you fall into. It's, it's how you dust yourself off and get out and keep going. And, you know, every, 
every two or three days, there would be something like that that would happen and or something that I would get inspiration from. So I, I would write it down. And and the book that I'm working on now, a lot of uh, of it is uh, it was lessons to my grandchildren. Uh, but I got a, a guy helping me write it and he changed it to find your own yak trails, uh, live your own life. And, and so that's, uh, that's probably part of it. Uh, and that's what I've gotten a lot of joy out of the last few years. And you're, you're on a mountain, uh, by yourself in a tent for months at a time. The last six years I've spent two, two to four months in a tent uh, a year, uh, and, and you're, you're stuck in a tent with just your thoughts. So the only two things that work up there and they don't work very good with your brain with lack of oxygen is a pencil and a piece of paper. <laughs> Nothing else works. So mm -hmm. I started writing my thoughts down and dedicating them to what I wanted to leave for my grandchildren. So that's been kind of the point of things here recently. Well, I, I'll be totally honest with you, Gary. I, I'm really excited to have an opportunity to read the book. Um, some of our listeners, I think, would be too. Uh, when, when can we kind of expect that? And and uh, do you have any idea when that might be released or how yeah, how, how got, would they get the book? So I've got Denali. Uh, 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 that's going to be the last chapter. So it may take May is my last of the seven summits. Uh, mm -hmm. I had a little bit of setback with Corona. Uh, I've got I've got a uh, I've got a new titanium hip. Uh, so. I've had some, uh, I've had uh, some, uh, some, I had to get the frame tuned up before I go up the last mountain. So uh, hopefully uh, that last chapter will get written uh, next May and it would probably be after that. But most of the stories that are in it are on my website and uh, uh, that's running below. And uh, you can kind of get uh, uh, a sense of what the book's about by reading the chapters of the mountains I climb. Uh, last question for you. In comparison, how how does Denali relate and climb technically to some of the other mountains? What What's the challenge that you have left? So it's funny, uh, my monitor I'm looking at, and I'll pull my camera off. I've got, I've got, the, I've got all the summits. I've got all the trails uh, to the summits, and every day I look at I look at these mountains, and I look at what I've got to go through to get to the summit. I look at the traps and the, the hard parts, and I visualize kind of uh, I visualize kind of what I'm going to be feeling like when I get to this point. And Denali has been one that I've been looking at. It's a big weather mountain. It's mm -hmm. 20 thousand uh, plus feet it's a uh, pretty high pressure so uh, your oxygen is going to be you know equivalent to 7,000 or 23,000 foot mountain so you've got altitude you've got uh, some technical head walls you got to climb so you got to have some good rope skills uh, but it's cramponing uh, crampons and ice axe uh, and and just you've got to get lucky with the weather so mm -hmm. it's bad weather mountain they can have two meters of snow a day and and you're shoveling you're spending all your energy shoveling yourself out of uh, uh, your tent out of snow drifts so so it's uh i'm looking forward to it uh but it's uh it's the last big one that i've got so uh i don't know what's next after that but uh 
but it's uh, it's it's going to be a fun one. Uh, I've got a real good outfitter called Mountain Trip that I'm going with, and they're working in conjunction with uh, the Australian company Adventure Consultants that I climb with. So, looking forward, got a good set of guys uh, that I'm climbing with. Well, I, Irv, I, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are going to fit into one of two categories. They're going to look at this as like this dude is absolutely amazing. Or he's absolutely crazy, one yeah. of the two. So, uh, which I'm sure you've probably run into that in, in yeah. your experiences as well. Did I show you my hip bone? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. So I my, my hip bone it was during COVID. I took my hip out. And I came yeah. through uh, the scanners at the airport. And I was supposed to get a letter to where I could go through the scanner. So they gave me my hip bone back because I want to leave it on top of Denali. And so when I go through the scanners and it goes off, I said, they didn't give me my letter, but here's my head. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, you've got to keep a sense of humor with this whole thing or the, it, it wouldn't work, I'm sure. So, uh, Gary, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you jumping on with us today. I know you're busy with your businesses and training and other things to get ready for the big climb. And you've got a thousand things with your philanthropic efforts that you put forth. Um, I look forward to having a chance to read the book down the road and um Hope, hope we get a chance to cross paths soon, too. We always will, Mike. Thank you. All right. Take care, buddy. Talk All to right. you soon. All right. Bye-bye.